are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Hi, everybody. David Guzik here, and this is a different thing for me. I'm speaking to you uh, street side in a beautiful community up here in central Cayuco. My Ingalil and I were on our way up north to a place called Calvary Chapel, Fort Bragg. There's Ingalil saying hi. We're on our way up north, and I still wanted to get in this YouTube uh, live session on a Thursday afternoon pattern. And I just want to forewarn you, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I have no idea if my signal strength is going to last. I have no idea if the um, uh, if there's going to be people coming up on the street because we're just in a residential. I have no idea if a big truck is going to come by just like did about five or ten minutes ago. So we'll find out. And uh, I'm, and if Pastor, we'll just delete this video and pretend like it never happened. But I do enjoy the time of uh, of uh, here. So um, what we need to do is deal with some of these questions. Uh, first of all, we had a in the Facebook uh, site that we have for Enduring Word. And the first one is this. It says, hey, David, would you comment on the criticism of Beth Moore, Rick Warren? It seems to me uh, that they are all criticized for what with. And I- I'll tell you what. It's really a good question to deal with, and I, I think that there is uh, far too much by association uh, when it comes to these. I'm far more interested in what these folks actually here on the platform with. Listen, I, I think I, I can respect somebody who expects speaking in between they don't quite agree with uh, because they feel that it's a good thing for them to do. It's a good thing for them to go for the most. I understand that. I respect it. Uh, so I'm much more interested in what the people themselves, the people that they're accused of associating with. And I'll give one other aspect to it as well. I think that a lot of this uh, stuff that goes on with people analyzing other people and criticizing them. First of all, nobody's above criticism. That, that should be established and understood in the Christian life. If somebody uh, is a public speaker and if they put it out, then it is entire to evaluate what they say and what they do. Um, I, I get that completely. Uh, but what it has to be fair, righteous. Uh, as the Bible says, judge righteous judgment. And so to take a snippet here, there from ministry or what they say, it may not be a fair representation of their ministry at all. Now, it could be fair, fair, but I I think that there's too much sloppy work done in this, where people are looking for gods and gods, and there's very little examination given to the full nature of what a person says or does. Uh, so I, I just think it's it's um, 
I'm not into the guilt by association thing. And uh, I just think that if we're going to evaluate one another in ministry, which I think is a fair thing to do, again, if a person is going to be a public pro word or of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, people have every right to assess what they say. I don't have a problem with that, but it just has with right. And uh, I think that's something that is not given enough attention to in the world today. All right. So you other have come up. Um, Ian says in the parable, of the prodigal son, is it in part speaking about. And um, I hear that question and I understand it. Uh, I, I don't get that approach at all. What we need the prodigal son is the context of it. Jesus gave a parable about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost. And it really was all about people coming into the kingdom, most suspectedly, um, how God seeks after the lost and, and embraces the lost and has joy over the lost when they come into the kingdom. And so really, I don't the sanctification aspect in the parable of the prodigal son. It really is in its context. God's joy when he finds the lost, uh, which was a contrast to how the Pharisees and the religious Jesus is. So, Ian, no, I don't see the prodigal son parable speaking about sanctification, really. Sean has a question. Sean piped in when I was doing a test video a few days ago. I'm trying out some new equipment, some new microphones, and one of the accidentally went public and it was really actually encouraging to see sean pop right up and give a hi pastor david to that so heidi and your question it says hi pastor why did jesus tell his disciples to fast when he told the disciples the scribes and the pharisees have to after the mount of transfiguration well i think what jesus was doing Jesus was not against fasting let me say that again jesus was not against fasting I just think he was against it the way Caesars did it in their day. They did it as a matter of routine. They did it just as a matter of ritual. They did a matter of seriousness. Like remember that prayer of the Pharisee where he boasts, well, I'm not like this man. I'm not like that man. I taught, you know, they did it as a matter of self-righteousness, not as a matter of seeking after God and mortifying the issue here isn't that Jesus was against fasting. He was against it the way that the religious, especially the Pharisees of his day, did it. So that's really the clarification I would make to that, uh, Sean. Jesus spoke of fasting as being a good thing. Jesus fasted himself. Fasting is something that we need to pay more attention to, I would say, and not less attention to. All right, uh, next question here is uh, from Redemption, NASB. I've heard that it's more accurate than the New King James Version. Is that true? Well, um, in a way, it's more literal than the New King James. But let me bring people up to speed about redemption in Christ's question. It's actually the New American Standard Version. The American Standard Version is a very trans, Bible translation long time, uh, and it's respected as being a good literal translation of the Bible. Now, here's the thing, is literal word-for-word -word translation 
sometimes isn't as poetic. Sometimes it isn't as literary. Um, to use kind of a weird phrase, it can be a little bit clunky in its translation. And the original, both in the in the ancient Greek, is more poetic, has more of a feel. So the New American Standard gets good marks for being literal. Only way to judge a translation. On balance, I prefer the New King James Version. I think translations out and I'm happy for them. But again, on balance, I prefer the New King James Version. So um, again, uh, that, that about that. Accurate, well, in the sense of being uh, literal, yes, but being literal isn't the only measure of good. Uh, Anthony says, my sunglasses look cool. Well, Anthony, if you knew me in daily life, I can hardly go out sunglasses. I've been wearing these kind of sunglasses for so long. My eyes are conditioned that I feel blind like a mole in the sunlight. If I don't have some, so because I'm here outside, uh, yeah, I just, I got to have them. So nice to hear from you. Uh, Agnes says this. Agnes says, hi, pastor. I purchased Standing in Grace, and it's a wonderful book. Teaching still curses us according to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Well, Agnes, thank you. Uh, what she's speaking about is a book I wrote in Grace. Get it on Amazon, or you can get it on the EnduringWord.com website. Uh, it's a book that I wrote that is a little bit different. I mean, most of my writing in Grace is a book that came out of many years, and some people encouraged me to write, and I was happy to write it, about what God has kind of is great, sort of a New Testament survey of God's grace. Now, Agnes, the question you have, that God gives us, according to Deuteronomy chapter 28, Agnes, I would put it this way, no, no, a thousand times, no. Those curses in Deuteronomy chapter 28 belong to the old covenant. Covenant, the Sinai covenant, the covenant that God made with the people of Israel when they came out of Mount Sinai. And Agnes, I'm here to tell you, the Bible made clear in the New Testament that we deal with God on the basis of a new covenant. And, and especially in plain in the letter to the Hebrews, that we are not under the old covenant. So those curse under the old um, blessing was apportioned uh, according to performance. Under the new, we are blessed what Jesus Christ has given us and what we receive by faith. So Agnes, I would not only disagree with what you heard in that teaching properly, which I assume you are, not only would I disagree with it, I would strongly disagree with it. Okay, uh, next is from Tim and Anna. They say this, what are your thoughts on the seven habits of effective people book and leadership training? That the author of the book was a Mormon. I want to honor the Lord at work as a leader in training. Well, Tim, that's a great question. I didn't know that the was a Mormon, but in this respect, it, I don't think it really matters. Look, there is some practical life somebody can get from a non-believer, from someone who is not a believing Christian. Uh, and this is because hard work and the kind of habits that we have, this is what we would call um, general grace, common grace is given to you. These are not only things that believers can figure out by studying their Bible. And so if there is good in some leadership things, 
uh, then we can learn from them. But we, we certainly don't make them the measure of our life. We certainly don't make them just sort of the things that we really cling to. Uh, so I do believe that there are some practical good things that we from, again, to use that theological term, common grace that's abroad in the world. And I wouldn't be allergic. And Anna, that, that's exactly, Tim, or I should say, that, that's exactly the point I would make by that. Okay, Ian, you're very, says thank uh, the conversation that he had about this idea of the prodigal son and sanctification. Again, I just want to add, I don't see it. Um, says, what would be the Christian approach to stand by an ill disbeliever or turn away? The person also engages in habitual sin. Um, Bianca, if I understand you, I think it's important to say that Jesus loved the unworthy. What you're just trying to say is that uh, this person uh, is sort of unworthy of the love that we might bestow upon them. But let's remember us and still loves us when we're unworthy. So we can't make a person's worthiness the demonstration of where we love to them. You also add that this person engages in habitual sin. Uh, if their problem is born of their it would be fair to ask them or to, to require them to repent of that sin before you would help them further. I mean, this is something that can be led spirit as, as individuals. But just the general purpose, that, the or general principle, I should say, that good to um, love the unworthy, that's a very Jesus kind of principle. So think about consideration, I would definitely recommend to you that you just pray and be led of the Holy Spirit, but I would just reinforce that principle that God does certainly at times call us to love the unworthy. Um, Sean says, hit the thumbs up. Sean, thanks for your input here, and um, glad for anybody who clicks the thumbs up. I guess it helps with the things and all. Bianca writes a question. He says, hi, David. Another newbie question. Can we take any verse table context and not combine with the story that it's in, but use it for our own situation? Hi from Bianca in Denmark. Um, question. And let me answer it in two ways. First of all, we have to be aware, not promise or principle in the Bible is our property. God made certain promises. Uh, to individuals in the Old Testament. God made certain promises and principles to nations in the Old Testament that aren't us. And so we just can't go in the Bible and look for any promise or principle belongs to us. I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's wise for us to do. However, it is possible spirit might quicken a promise to us. In other words, I read something in the word. I know that for me, but there's something of the Holy Spirit that just says, David, this promise is for you at this time. Happened a few times in my life. Uh, there was one time when we were praying and contemplating if God would want us to move our family from southern over to Germany to conduct some service for what was for us at that time the foreign field. You know foreign from 
Southern California. And in praying about that, God gave me through a sister in Christ, God gave me a verse of scripture that was not directed to me directly. It was directed to Moses and the people of Israel quickened that to us and said, David, this is for you and used it as part. I want to stress that as part of the confirmation for us to go ahead and to do this. So um, I do believe that we have to, in general, make a distinction promise that all believers today and to promises that were for individuals or nations that we don't believe part of a distinction between that and uh, the promises that are made to us, but then also to consider that there may be specific times and may take promise that's not given to us, but he may, by the Holy Spirit, make it alive to us and say, brother, sister. All right, next. Um, uh, the Sunghan says, went out too soon. A person also engaged in a form of sin, which is tempting, but he is in need of support help. Dusanka, I would just say this, adding on to the question that I did before, that uh, this is Dusanka's question regarding somebody, whether or not we should help an unbeliever who's... The principle I can give you, and listen, I think you got to be guided. You need to be led by the Holy Spirit as regarding... The principle is we want to help that person. And sometimes giving them what they ask for them is a line where we enable people, we encourage them, we even strengthen them in their bad and sinful behavior. Not one of and so I would let that be your guide, Bianca. You want to help this person. And if you can whether or not is actually helpful to them or not, let that kind of be your guide. Okay, next question comes from my friend Janosch. God bless you. Hi to you and Anya from both me and Ingelil. Janos pastors in Germany called City Light Church. He's a good brother. If any of you are in the Hamburg area or know people that are, you should recommend that they go to church. Janos is the pastor. Anyway, Janos says, hey, Dave, as you just taught Nehemiah, Nehemiah says that the Israelites created the feasts since the days of Joshua, but Ezra 3.4 says that they did celebrate the feast. Okay, Giannis, that's a good question because just that of through the book of Nehemiah, that it seems strange that they said that they had not celebrated it. And I, I would be, and they're kind of related. The first thing is, is that obviously they had celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles since. I mean, in that hundreds of years period, which would be a period since the days of Joshua, more than 500 years. Yes, they had celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. So either it's a bit of poetic hyperbole. It's like we this before. So it could be just a, a statement of poetic hyperbole. And hyperbole is sort of a poetic exaggeration. It could mean that they never celebrated one after such a long ab as they had. Uh, th this was such a unique thing that they had done, restoring this, renewing this in their day, that it felt so unique to them that it was that it was like it had never been done before. And again, there's some of these things that you would say, well, that's not literally our play where it speaks with a bit of poetic exaggeration. It speaks according to how people feel, not only according to 
rural facts on the ground are. And I think that that's one of those passages. So Giannis, I hope that that helps. But I noticed that too when we were going through Nehemiah last week uh, in the block class I taught for Calvary Chapel Bible College. All right, next question comes from Joel. If salvation is by faith, hold on, I just lost you. If salvation is by faith, would an apostate give their salvation if they willingly chose not to trust anymore? Thanks, Pastor, watching from Mexico. Well, Joel, I'm so glad that you could join us. Of the internet that we have, we have uh, people from Africa, we have people from Germany, we have people from Denmark, now from Mexico, and on the central street here in Cayucas, California. Okay, anyway. Joel, to answer your question, if salvation is by faith, would an apostle salvation choose not to trust anymore? Well, the, the quick answer to your question, I would say, is yes, because you define as an apostate. An apostate means someone who leaves the faith. So yes, this is a person who is not destined for heaven. They are not um, under the covering of what Jesus Christ did They've rejected that. They are an apostate. Now, let me add this. The big question is, and this is something to argue about, and I'm not going to try to answer the question right now. I'm just going to make the question clear. The question is, did they really have their salvation? In other words, were they just only saved in appearance or were they saved in fact? Was it something temporarily? Or was it also something that they had uh, in truth, in fact, at the moment, and they lost the debate that takes place among Christians? And I just want you to know, Joel, that um, I'm not going to get into that right now. Maybe we could start talking about that in some depth. Uh, but really, the way you state the question, yes, an apostate is someone who has left the faith. The debate is whether or not they were ever truly in the faith or whether it was just an appearance of it from the molters so thank you for your thoughtful response that helps a lot tim i'm so glad to hear it uh you're very welcome just in chapter six in genesis there were giants on the earth were they the results of demon taking his wives for the many bones discovered okay jesse is referring to something in genesis chapter six where it says Sons of had relations, some kind of sexual relation, with the daughters of men and produced this offspring called called giants in the land in that day. Now, what's the nature of this? Jesse, what I want you to know is the majority Christian opinion is that this is just believers marrying unbelievers, that the sons of God were the descendants of Seth, the godly line. The daughters of men were the descendants of Cain, the ungodly line. That is the and most common understanding of that in the church. However, I take, I'll admit it's a minority, of, I, I, that there's something going on here that's different than the, just that. Now, I, I just want to say that I, I approach to this issue of the sons of God and the daughters of men and their offspring Every approach to this in has, you're not going to find one that has no problems. So I don't embrace my position on this. And it is others, but it is a minority opinion. I don't have my position because I feel that there's no problem with it. Oh, I agree. There's 
I just prefer the problems of the position I take to the problems I see in the other positions. So without going into it in great depth, no, I think there was something. And if I could regard it, I believe that it wasn't some kind of demonic association with um, human beings. I think it was probably done through a unique form of demonic. Certain about that? No, I can't. This is something that's somewhat mysterious and nobody has a solution that answers every far as evidence like being bones discovered uh jesse i would just say not to my knowledge i have no knowledge of some kind of evidence are i don't really know uh, bianca you're very welcome neely it's nice to hear from you again neely says hi genesis 10 verse 5 20 and 31 according to their tongue were there other languages mixed the languages up during Nimrod's time? Neely, not that we know of. The biblical record seems to tell us, it seems to say it pretty clear there in Genesis chapter 10, that all the earth was of one at that time. Before God split things up, as you said, in the days of Nimrod at the Tower of Babel, God had told creation multiply and spread out over the earth, but they didn't do that. They wanted to stay entrenched at our Babylon, their Babel, and God gave them different languages to split them up. So no, as to a, for that, there was one language spoken. Now, you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to ask it because I find it kind of an interesting question. Language. And I don't know, the uh, Jewish rabbi said that it was Hebrew. I suppose it could have been. Why not? But uh, that was plausible. But again, it's something I can't be certain about. Um, Andrea, thanks for writing in. Andrea has a question, and it says, in Ephesians chapter 4, God, Paul talks about different offices in the church. Do these four offices same importance and weight in the church? And what does the awful office of apostle look like? Well, Andrea, thank you for your question. Well, I want to thank you for the way that you phrased your question, because I think very accurately you talked about full office. Be true, because in that passage of Ephesians chapter four, beginning like about at verse ten or eleven, it says that God gave these gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher. I give you a little pet peeve that I have. I'm all people talk about the five-fold ministry from this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Because actually, in the Greek grammar, it lists four different ministries. Pastor, teacher are linked in the Greek grammar. So there aren't five, apostle, prophet, uh, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Four offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher. Okay, so thank you for phrasing it that way. Um, four offices have the same importance and weight in the church. Well, I, I don't think so. And this is the important distinction. There are apostles and prophets in the church today in the same sense that they existed in the New Testament. Our Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul speaks very clearly about the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's a fact laid once, and we have the record of it in our New Testaments. That's what we know that the 
Revelation is the record, that foundation given to us by the apostles and prophets, and we don't need that foundation again. So if there are apostles and prophets in the church today, they are purely lesser sense, in an inferior sense. They are not, and I'll say it again, they are not apostles and level as those first century apostles and prophets that gave to us the revelation of God's word. Now, it's important and that um, a truly apostolic ministry today is one that's built on God's word, the New Testament specifically. A truly prophetic ministry today is something that's founded the word prophets of the first century, again, the word of God. If you want to look for a true apostolic and prophetic, you're something that's solidly built on the word of God. Now, there may be in a greatly in apostles, people that God raises up to be special ambassadors of the church today. That's kind of how I apostle, if you want to take it in a present sense. Uh, there may be prophets in the church today. God people for whom God has given a unique message to the church, uh, but cannot, we should not, we must not think of them in the same sense as the first century apostles and prophets who gave us God's word throughout all uh, generations. So uh, look, I look on my thing. That's about it for the questions that we have at the current time. Of course, I'm going to review this. I'm very happy for everybody who's been able to tune in through this unusual edition live with me, live from a street here in Cayucas. Uh, I'm glad you could join me. I plan to keep posted every Thursday that I'm able to, as you can see, sometimes even when I'm on the road, every Thursday when I'm able to, I like to do this, take these questions and answer. I love the interaction, the feedback. I'm very grateful for our YouTube family. If subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click the like button, uh, recommend it to other people, and I always want to give special people who support the work of Enduring Word. Uh, you guys are a blessing, and you enable stuff like this to happen. And I'll probably say more about this later, but just yesterday, for the first time, we put up translate on the website. Go to the EnduringWord.com website, click on the menu where it says commentary, and our of the translation of my New Testament commentary into Russian, the books of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Hebrews, and all trans with a really good translation up there in Russian. We're very grateful for that. Those who support the work enable that to go forward, and I'm very grateful for it. So thanks so much. Very glad you could join us today and uh, next week at the same time. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.